companies have made a shift from the mid nineties on to where we are today, which is culture is one of the driving forces behind growth. The product always is really important, but even at my time at Apple, I noticed the culture went hand in hand with great products. If you didn't have a culture of innovation, you weren't going to make the greatest products in the entire world. You needed to continuously have this culture of asking the right questions, having candor with each other, having some vulnerability to understand that you don't have necessarily all the answers. That type of culture is starting to permeate itself in corporations as they've grown now. What this is forcing companies to do is to really look at their talent acquisition strategy, which is to say, we have to be a little bit more careful about just judging people on whether or not they can do the job. We need to understand and know how they're capable of doing the job. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome in to the Free Retiree Show, episode 153. I'm your host, Wealth Manager, Lee Michael Murphy, and I'm alongside my pal, interview coach and mentor extraordinaire, Sergio Valentino, Big Boy Patterson. Happy Friday, everyone. Good morning. Welcome into a career advancement edition of our show. For today's show, we're going to be talking about some amazing information, the future of hiring. And we're also going to give you tips on how to land very competitive job roles. And to help us in today's discussion, Serge, you pointed out that we need to get Maddie Gregg on. And for some reason, we were able to land him. But Serge, what's what stood out to you about Maddie? It was less about the career stuff and more about his journey. He ran 5,000 miles. That's what I saw a post randomly on LinkedIn. He ran like across America. So I was like, all right, this guy's probably really legit if he can actually do that. I could not do that in my wildest dreams. And let's talk about like his credentials <laughs> right now. He is VP, a head of talent at First Republic Bank. He worked at Apple for over 13 years, headed things like Apple Card, Apple Pay, Apple Transit. And yes, the running I, for someone like me, sir, like I'm struggling to run a mile this year to walk. You're struggling to walk. I'm struggling to walk. I breathe heavy on my walk to the car. So I got to ask Maddie the tips on that. But sir, just to start off today's episode, since we have someone that is head of talent, knows what to look for. I thought I'm going to put you on the spot and give you my little mock interview right now. I'm going to give you a couple questions and see. You're going to interview do. me? I'm going to interview you. All right. Yeah, you, you weren't expecting this today, but and also we'll ask Maddie when he comes on if he would hire your ass. We'll see. Uh, Serge, these are my very special questions. But if you were an animal, what would it be? If I were an animal, I would be a dog, because I'm loyal. I'll always be there for you, and I'm your best friend. Wow, I really can't dispute that today. But okay, all right. Sing a song that best describes you. Gosh, you should have texted me this morning <laughs> with, with these questions. No, that's not how the interview uh, process works. At least it's see. actually one. It's one of my favorite songs by an independent artist in the Bay Area. It you just goes it? simple, man. I like simple things. That's it. That's the hook. I'm not that impressed with that one, but all right. Without further ado, let's bring on Maddie Greg. Maddie, how are you doing this morning? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing great, man. So we've told the listeners about your experience. Would you hire Sergio or are you underwhelmed <laughs> like I am right now? I'd hire Sergio just for the hat he's wearing right now. The Niners. Uh, go <laughs> Niners. Yeah, go Niners. <laughs> Ah, good move today, Serge. Yes, Maddie's also a Niner fan, but we're pleased to have you on, man. We've heard a lot about the accolades that you've done throughout your career, but give the listeners a little bit about what you're doing currently and also like your time at Apple, because I think it's one of those companies that everyone looks up to and like your role there was huge. So can you give the listeners a little bit about your history? Sure. So right now I'm head of talent management at a, a regional bank, pretty big in the Bay Area, actually. And I got there 
by jumping around doing many different things. One of those things that I did was always stayed in the cusp of innovation. Working with Apple for 13 years, I got to jump around and do really cool stuff. Staying curious was one of those themes throughout my entire career that I found was really important in which you learn new things, you pick up stuff, you learn from everyone around you who just knows more than you, and you always stay humble, you stay hungry. Those are the things that kind of just have driven my career. So I've been able to do things like help launch Apple Pay, have a team launch Apple Pay Cash, work through Apple Transit, which is basically taking your phone to the BART or any other place and tapping it and being able to get onto a train or subway or wherever it is that you are. And seeing some of the impacts of the things that I've been able to do has just been such a great joy for me in my career. And that's led me to have a really fulfilling portion of my career in talent management, because I've always found that the thread throughout my entire career, looking backwards, has been getting people to do the things in their career that they love. So for me, if I can do that for a career to just help people find what they want to do and what they love, that's a really fulfilling career for me. And some of those products are just once in a lifetime top products. I mean, that's Absolutely. awesome. Yeah, that experience. What do you think you were there for 13 years and then you had a work hiatus? You decided to run across the United States of America. What caused that? It was a really wild ride at Apple. I actually, I was an Apple fanboy from the very beginning. In 84, when the Mac came out, I was six years old and I thought that thing was the coolest thing in the entire world. So I've been a Mac fan since the beginning. I've said, I want to move out to San Francisco one day. I want to work at Apple. That's a huge piece for me. And then I got to get my dream job, which was working for Apple retail and continue to be curious about different things. And so if one of the things that I'm actually the most proud of that people don't even realize is that I was one of the folks that helped design when you walk into an Apple store and you check out using the iPhone, uh, the person inside of the Apple store has an iPhone and you actually give them your credit card or you use Apple pay. That was one of the first things that I had helped design. And so it's actually been like a really amazing career when you're able to do things like stay on the cusp of innovation and learn from people who just know more than you. So from that perspective, I think it's been a wild career and I always encourage people to just stay hungry, stay humble. In terms of like when you were at Apple, what project was the one that you enjoyed the most? I know you did a lot of great projects, things that we see in the news and in society, but which ones do you think impacted you the most? I think the ones that impacted the most for me were the ones that you haven't heard of. So Apple Pay was great. Apple Cash, mm -hmm. Apple Transit, those are the things that are customer facing. But I got the chance to work on some internal tools. For example, we combined communications, operations, and training into one tool for our Apple retail ease worldwide. So we had to create a system that was translatable, localizable. It was a huge challenge. And bringing all of these tools together when an employee would have to log into a bunch of different systems, right? A bunch of different applications that were out there. I think at the time, an employee had to log into 50 different systems to do their job. And my team was responsible for bringing about 28, 29 of those all together. And we created this tool and it actually was in my little piece of the Apple world here. It was the first native iPad app internally at Apple. So one of those really wow. cool things that, uh, that I'll always remember, it's had a huge impact. And it's stuff that I talk about all the time with companies that ask, how can we simplify things for our employees to do their jobs? And I say, you have to empower passion teams that understand how to bring these things together, operations, communications, and training, bring them all together into this really succinct package that people can go to, do their jobs, and really flourish in their role. It's, it's funny you mentioned that because I work in Silicon Valley as well, and we're still battling that today. I'm a program manager and we have 
Airtable, Asana, Google Sheets, Slides, Teams fighting, we should be in this this tool. And it's like, that still hasn't been solved today. Just simplifying the way we work. I think that's an interesting problem that you actually had an impact on 15 years ago or whatever, but we're still figuring that out. And Sergio, to that point, I think part of the problem that organizations run into is that when you, you see that challenge, right? When you have 50 systems or applications that are not talking to each other, it could be a leadership problem if you think about it, because each kind of organization or sub-organization has their own culture, their own rules, and their own tools, and they're not necessarily empowered or incentivized to actually bring them together with other teams so that the bigger teams can do their jobs much better. So sometimes you always have to look at the organization and say, is there some leadership problem that might help us solve this? And can we empower a couple of teams to get together and collaborate on the better future for every team inside of the company? So one of the things that we wanted to bring you on today is talk about the future of hiring. I know that you're one of the figures that's leading that. Explain to the listeners the path that we're headed on and what that's going to look like in the future in terms of us trying to be attractive candidates, in terms of how companies will look for their candidates down the road. And I don't know, we, we talked about this before you came on the show about where the future was headed. And I don't know the timeline, but if you could explain what that I think that'd be really great for the listeners. Absolutely. There is this evolution of corporations from the 40s to the 80s in the previous century. We had companies that were more focused on the work and the culture kind of sprung up out of that work. And it does in pretty much every organization, but culture was always secondary to companies. But with the new generation coming out in terms of what the needs are for them, not necessarily always wanting to be working, not necessarily always seeing incentive with money, Companies have made a shift from the mid-90s on to where we are today, which is culture is one of the driving forces behind growth. The product always is really important. But even in my time at Apple, I noticed that culture went hand in hand with great products. If you didn't have a culture of innovation, you weren't going to make the greatest products in the entire world. You needed to continuously have this culture of asking the right questions, having candor with each other, having some vulnerability to understand that you don't have necessarily all the answers. That type of culture is starting to permeate itself in corporations as they grow now. What this is forcing companies to do is to really look at their talent acquisition strategy, which is to say, we have to be a little bit more careful about just judging people on whether or not they can do the job. We need to understand and know how they're capable of doing the job. The what is very important, but the how is also very important as well. How they actually show up in their job, what behaviors they they exhibit. And so it's forcing companies to take a look inward to really understand these type of methods and models. Now, companies have not been very good at doing this on their own. They really haven't taken the time to, to do this or quantify it. So there's this new type of re-popping up called talent intelligence. And talent intelligence, when it started probably about 10 years ago, I would say maybe even more, they started looking at kind of these skill sets, right? Like you probably heard that skills are driving the future of hiring and upskilling is one of the most important pieces. But I don't think that they're actually looking at skill sets as what can you do? I think they're also, talent intelligence is kind is starting to adapt into the how can you do it? How do you show up in your job? And so things like competencies are starting to take hold. What that means, I think if I was going to sum it up, if you look at companies now, they are looking at the how can you perform? And so they are really relying on the interview 
and they're relying on asking questions just a little bit about what is your collaboration sense? Like what, how have you worked with teams more? And that's the transition that's happening. The interview is switching more to the, there's always going to be the, what do you know? And can yep. you demonstrate what you know? But then there's now this new facet and model of how can you actually do it? How can you work with teams? Yeah. It's like that behavioral style interview questions, right? It's, I think it just because it takes so many teams to get stuff done now, if you can't get along with people and work well with others, it's not going to work. Right. I think that's what I'm yep. hearing from you. And that's what I've seen in my job. Like those soft skills are becoming more and more important as well. Not just having the hard skills. So on top of what you were saying, and something that I wanted to point out is that companies as a whole, they're looking inward before they look outward. That's where the real transition is happening right now. Right. You have companies that have these departments that say, we have these needs. And so they go out and hire. What I'm trying to do in my role as talent management is I'm telling everybody, hey, let's get together and look inward. Let's have more discussions at the higher level about our talent. Let's really understand and quantify what we have. We have we're bringing on board a talent intelligence platform that can help us do that and quantify it because everyone can log into this system and they can model their own careers in terms of what they want, what their skills have been, what they've been able to do and the trajectory of where they want to go. They have a lot of different elements that they can actually put into that, such as even where are they located? That's, an, that's a huge piece of it because industries are in certain areas. So this idea of talent intelligence is actually becoming some of the language of some of these companies. And it's helping them really navigate through the job market because it targets what you need because you've already done the work internally to figure out what you have and what you can move around. So now we're looking externally a lot more intelligently about what you need to bring in to help you grow. It's really interesting. I could see that actually having an impact on retaining employees as well. Because a lot of reasons why employees leave is because they don't feel like they're being given those opportunities. So it sounds exactly. like and, your and teams are like, here's what we have. Maybe this person can actually be promoted or take that new role versus bringing exactly. someone else in. Exactly. Hit the nail on the head, Sergio. The, the key component is that Visibility has always been difficult for large companies, right? If I was an employee in a large company, and even at Apple, it was very difficult for me to find that next step in my career because it wasn't apparent to me, right? It wasn't in front of me. I, my manager would tell me, hey, you can do this and this. But if I didn't want to do that and he didn't have visibility or she didn't have visibility into something else, then I would have a difficult time finding that next step. I always tell people that careers are not ladders. They're rock walls. And it's up to you to really own what that next hold is that you're reaching for on the rock wall. You may not go up the same path that your manager did or your leaders did. You might have to find your own more comfortable path. And it might be sideways. And frankly, the hold might be down. And you might actually have to take a couple of steps down. I took three demotions in my career to get to where I am now. Happy demotions. And it was because I realized that I would learn something brand new in the new role that was, that was presented to me but it doesn't feel like it's a ladder at all. And I don't know anybody that could really truly say, yeah, my my career was, was a straight ladder straight up. In this future of hiring intelligence, how do we evaluate the people moving forward? I feel like it's always been about what's their experience, right? That's been the biggest gauge of if we hire someone from the company standpoint, how are they going to do that moving forward? Does this involve experience, just a little bit more detail into it? Or are we giving them tests? Like, how does that play out? The theory is that so I'll give you the kind of the talent intelligence concept from its start to where we are now, which is 2 billion people have had careers and they've gone the paths that they have gone. 
however that is shaken out. So the resume builds talent intelligence. You think of, you started off as an analyst and then you became a senior analyst and then maybe you went to data analyst or whatever it was in your career. Talent intelligence takes all that information that's happened in the past and it synthesizes it into what is your next step in your career. If I had access to that and machine learning told me, these are the hundreds of paths that have come before you based upon where you are now, that's actually a really great piece of insight for me in my career because then I can determine and decide who, what skill sets do I have that match what's happened, what's happened before me that could actually read or read out where I could go next in my career. So companies are using that at a much grander level, right? They look at it and they synthesize all the skills that they have. And then they say, we want to go down this area, down this path. Maybe you want to get into private wealth as a banking company, and maybe you haven't done it yet. What do we need to get there? Well, you can take all the skills that you actually have in the organization now, synthesize it into talent intelligence, and talent intelligence can spit out the idea of what you're actually required to go get in order to get into the private wealth area. A lot of this intersects with opportunity, right? As an individual, you're out there, you're trying to get a job. The bank, I'm using this as an excuse, as, or not excuse, as, a, as an example. You might be a private wealth manager and you're looking actually, you're, you're independent contracting and you want to get into a bank. It just might be the case that your skill set might fit and they can proactively go out on think places like LinkedIn and find you. And then that opportunity may, might be able to intersect. Of course, there's this whole like how you show up at your job that's going to be so important, right? The culture fit piece that we were talking about earlier. But I think that's where companies are going. They're looking for you now, as opposed to you always constantly looking for them. Wow. What a great path though, because I feel like so many of us now in our career, it's like a pinball machine, right? You can know where you're going, but it's the, the ride is more like a pinball and you're just bouncing all over the place till you hopefully get to where you want to go. But now with this whole concept of talent intelligence, it's a map. It's like A, B, C, D, that's what you got to do. These are the skill sets you need to acquire, right? That's exactly right. Yep. Career development now doesn't have to be a situation where you would take a course uh, or something that you think will help you. The theory is that if you have access, if your company has talent intelligence and you have access to this tool and you log in and you say, here are my skills. This is what I've done before. Here's my previous experience. This is all the stuff that makes up who I am in my work life. It can synthesize all of that and spit out, here's where you may want to go, right? Multiple different career paths. And by the way, here's the career development that you need to get to those places. It visualizes the rock wall for you. I've always told people that my career has been a rock wall, climbing a rock wall, but it's been in the dark, right? <laughs> yeah, and I always wanted yeah. somebody to turn the lights on to help us figure out where the holds were. But now things like talent intelligence can help us do that. That's really interesting. I it, In my previous company, I was at LinkedIn and they put a number of resources into skills insights and talent insights. Pretty much exactly what you're talking about. The idea of building out like the skills graph, because LinkedIn has all this data on people. Here's Here are all my skills. Here's what I'm learning. I think what I'm hearing from you, it's like this network of skills, a map based off historical data. Here's what you could do, kind of Lee said, but I didn't even think about it, but yeah, you're spot on. I think this is the future and I think it's for the better. If the AI yeah. works the way it should. Exactly. And I think that's going to take time, right? AI takes years to learn appropriately, right? There are a lot of companies in Silicon Valley that I've been working with to just talk about what is the philosophy behind the AI. And I know that there are governing bodies in the world that are starting to form. The World Economic Forum actually has a governing body right now on AI in terms of the standards of 
taking into consideration not only the morality components behind using AI, because it really does, what you wouldn't want to do is have individuals figure out how to game the system in order to get ahead, right? Those are things that always have to be mitigated against. And so it's really important what your philosophical strategy is behind the design of the AI in order to move forward with appropriate AI for everyone. Does it have DEI components to it, which is a huge piece of making diverse teams that are really excellent at working, very efficient team. Is this a tool you're looking to bring to your your role or just is this like a passion project for you outside? I don't know if you explained that earlier, but I was just curious. Are you looking to bring this to, to the bank or is this more of a passion project to bring to other companies? I'm interested in the industry. Of course, work within the context of, of what I'm doing now, but I see it as an industry that requires a lot of thought. The communications operations and training tool that I brought together for Apple back in the day in 2008 was the beginning of this, right? Because what our hope was is that if we brought all of this stuff into one platform, then we can determine who our subject matter experts were in, for example, Final Cut Pro, or who knew a lot about the MacBook Pro that could that was coming out, or who knew Photos or GarageBand, anything like that. It was the beginning of trying to do that. So from my perspective, I think there are a lot of talent industry experts out there. It's not just about the bring it to the bank. It's about like the industry blossoming into what it should be for humanity as a whole. All right. I think it'd be a mistake yeah. if we didn't hear more about the 5K run across America. Yes, you're like the Forrest Gump of the tech world. What was that about? What possessed you to do that? <laughs> I can't even like walk at a brisk pace to my car. Yeah, I've been doing ultra marathons in Cal. There is a huge ultra marathon community out in California. A lot of people take off and go to Rodeo Beach near Marin County, or they'll go down to Quicksilver down in the South Bay, and they'll just spend two, three hours out there and just walk, hike, or run, and you'll see runners out there. And it's a big community, but you can pretty much recognize people that have done that. And of course, the Western states is out there. So when I moved out to California in 2007, I started getting into this notion of ultra running. So I was doing ultra running up in the hills and Quicksilver and other places. And I actually always had a desire to run across America. That's how I thought I would get from New Hampshire, where I live now and where I was from, out to California as I thought I might actually run over there. It didn't happen. I was too young for that. It wasn't going to happen. And I said, at one point, I will, once I move back to New Hampshire, run back across America to get there. My parents were getting older. I was 40. I had done a lot at Apple. I'd worked on probably about 15 different projects in 13 years, which is crazy. But after having worked on all those projects, I said, you know what? My parents are getting older. It's time to go back. There was an opportunity to buy my childhood home, which I'm actually in right now as I'm talking to you. So I bought it off of the market on my 40th birthday. And that was only about five months before the run started. Now, I didn't want to just go directly across America. I wasn't doing this for speed. I wasn't doing this to avoid all the visuals. I actually wanted to see what was out there in America. And I wanted to talk to a lot of people. So I took this path where I went from Apple Park on November 6, 2018, I started at Apple Park. I invited all my friends that I'd worked with over the course of 13 years. I said, all right, let's do a mile. It's exactly a mile around Apple Park. So we did the first mile around Apple Park. I took my badge off. I handed it to security and I said, I quit. And I started running. <laughs> and from that point on, I ran all the way down to LA, across Arizona to New Mexico, up to New Mexico, through Oklahoma, the Texas Panhandle in Oklahoma, 
Route 66 was part of my favorite part of the trip. If you could ever get out to the remote parts of Route 66, they have buried so much of Americana in New Mexico that if you wanted to find, I actually dug up a metal sign, a porcelain metal sign from a gas pump that was worth $500 that was right off the road in New Mexico, in the border of New Mexico and Texas. If you take a metal detector out there, I guarantee you, you'll find 50s Americana stuff that has been forgotten in Route 66. But if you went from Amarillo across to Oklahoma, all the way down to Austin, all the way across to Savannah, Georgia, and then back up to uh, New Hampshire, 5,000 miles. And it was one of the most rewarding parts of my life. I think a lot of my family members said, why would you ever do that? I mean, you had the golden handcuffs. We all know what the golden handcuffs are in Silicon (laughs) Valley, right? They offer you things that the incentives for the future, and you get tied to that. And you're like, I don't want to leave. And I just needed to do this for me. So I took the time off, just quit my job for nine months. And then I just started running across America and it was the best possible thing that I could have done for myself. I actually met my wife on the run. I adopted the three children that she had. You guys meet what state? Tennessee. Friends of friends. I started talking to her through in New Mexico when there's nobody out there. So it was actually kind of solitary point in the run, but luckily I was able to talk to her and we had just started chatting and connected and the rest is history. I can't believe like she stuck around. What do you do? I'm just running across America. All right. Bye. See you later. (laughs) Email me or don't. (laughs) Her family told them to not go anywhere near me. My family said I was crazy for even doing the run. But yeah, she stuck with me and that that's a keeper, right? That is amazing. Yeah, that's a keeper. Are you going to do the run again? I don't think so. I did it when I was 40. And I think that was probably the limit in terms of when I wanted to do it. A lot of older folks do runs like this. They try to do it like straight across, but I did it for the sites. I didn't necessarily do it for the, uh, for the speed. I did about, I averaged about a marathon a day in order to get up to uh, New Hampshire at the time. That I- it's funny, 27 miles is a lot of course. And if you do a marathon a day, a lot of people think, oh gosh, that's a lot, but you can finish it in five to six hours and then spend the rest of the time looking at where you are which a lot of this was new to me, right? So many different places that I had been that I've never been before. So many things that I'd learned about, for example, the history of Kaiser Permanente, which was also the history of healthcare in America. There's so much history about where healthcare came from that you learn when you go to these places. So Maddie, before we let you go, being the head of talent, and that's been the trajectory of your career, it seems like really in that space, a lot of our listeners, they're interested about how they can land those really competitive job roles, right? Not just a job, but like the elite of the elite, the one that puts their name in the hat for, and as someone that, you know, facilitates, you know, finding talent, what do you think it is for you that separates a candidate. I mean, you saw Sergio his, in his lackluster interview that I gave him. I know you wouldn't hire him, but what could make him better? And how are you going to find that talent? Way to bring your friend up on a Friday. <laughs> That's what I do. I think the two most important things for me and that I try to instill in hiring managers to look for is candor and vulnerability. Because candor and vulnerability at the end of the day is, are going to be two of the drivers that establish trust. And trust is the ingredient that you need to fill any role and to have somebody on your team. If you don't trust somebody for whatever reason, you're going to micromanage them or you're going to just leave them alone and not be able to give them the feedback that they need to grow, which is going to stifle their careers. So whenever you bring somebody on and you're looking inside of the interview, you really want to ask the questions that get you to candor and vulnerability. Are they able to express themselves with candor? Are they able to show vulnerability? 
Have they made mistakes in their career that they've truly learned from? That they're not the surface mistakes that have been made, something that has actually shown some growth. I think those are the most important aspects to look for. Can you talk more about candor? I think it's so important and I'm 100% aligned with you, but I think what's tough about that sometimes is the way you can be almost too direct sometimes people I think can be, and then it's like a science and an art to being direct and being honest and in a way to navigate. I think that's tough for some people. I actually had someone tell me yesterday at work, she got feedback about being too direct and candor and directness, I think go hand in hand. I'd love just to hear more. Any thoughts there? Absolutely. Candor. I think when you express candor in an interview that allows the hiring manager to assess whether or not their style and their approach is going to be good for the team. Candor can be overused, right? Like your friend, actually, that's a good example. It's like, I was too direct with some individuals. When you actually express things like candor and you do it inside of an interview, the hiring manager is then able to say, okay, is this going to work for the culture of our team? You don't want people to be completely indirect. You need people to be truthful. And part of candor is actually being as truthful as you can, but also knowing and understanding the emotions and the feelings of the people around you. So that's what I meant by look for that piece when you're in your interview, because I think that will help you as a hiring manager make the appropriate determination. And by the way, as a, a person doing the interview, always think about what you're saying, think about how it impacts the person that you're talking to, in this case, the interviewer, and have fun in the interview too. Yeah, there's like an art to using candor. I think like I've had managers be very direct and I leave the meeting like pumped, ready to work. I've had other managers who just don't know how to do it the right way. And then you're down for a couple of days. That part's so important. Love that. Hey, one last thing before we let you go. I've noticed that you have some passion projects in terms of Wounded Warrior, St. Baldrick's Foundation. Like you've done some things in this space. Would love to hear why. And the Firefighters with Cancer. I'm not sure that's how it's called, but I know you were into that project. What has led you to get into these projects? I think the big thing that's led me towards this is most of the folks that I've done this for either uh, have contributed to the community in a meaningful way. Firefighter Cancer Support Network is a huge one that I support. Firefighters are actually, I think the statistics are four times more likely to die of cancer than other folks. They're a little bit more subjected to cancer in terms of percentages, but the fast moving cancers are what typically bring firefighters to a different level when it comes to what the deaths are because of the toxins and the carcinogens and everything that they inhale while they're on the job. And so there's a lot of education and training that go into that. So I like helping communities who help the broader community. And Wounded Warrior, of course, is a big one. They're always helping Wounded Warriors with preventative care or care after the situation has occurred. They're always looking at ways that they can improve their veteran veteran communities. Team Rubicon is a big one. They need support and help when they go into disaster zones and try to try to make that community better. And St. Baldrick's, which I think is one of the more unique ones that we've done because children haven't had that opportunity yet to be able to help communities or to become part of our larger community. And so St. Baldrick's has always been something that has been near and dear to my heart to try to head off cancer at the pass. Uh, for these for these children. I think what typically drives me to these things are conversations that I have with people who I run with or people who have had an impact on my life. For example, Firefighter Cancer Support Network 
was driven by a fire chief out of Monterey who I used to run with in the mountains. St. Baldrick's was a conversation with some folks that, that I had done some community work with together. So I think it's always comes through this word of mouth and extended communities become part of communities. I salute you for that, man. Like we've always talked about on the show is like why we work for money and all that stuff, but it makes the journey so much better when you're working for a cause. You have something that you're passionate about that benefits society. It seems that you've really mastered that and realized like that makes your life better. And I don't know. It's just, it's one of those things. It's, I think in my younger years, I wasn't so philanthropic and I felt more empty. I don't know. And now I think I'm on the right path. I'm not to the level of your generosity, but I'm trying to get there. And I think it's really cool that you're doing all that stuff. I appreciate it. I don't know if there's, there are levels to it. It's more like what's in your heart, what drives you, that type of stuff. The output is great. The output's wonderful. And you can always talk about it later. I'm actually looking forward to having grandkids so that I can tell them the crazy stuff that their grandfather used to do. <laughs> but that's where maybe they'll listen to this podcast. I don't know. You know, you're at, you get to the point in your life where you're just like, where you're just happy that you've been able to add any value to the people around you and, and continue to do so every day. So I applaud you. I applaud Sergio if you're doing that and it's been fulfilling for me. So I hope it's as fulfilling for you. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's a mic drop. Yeah. Uh, Maddie, how can people check you out? Like how, if people want to get in contact with you, what's the best way? Oh, that's a good question. If you want to get in touch with me, I think you can go to mattygreg.com. I have some contact information off of that. You can always hit me up on LinkedIn if you can find me there. That's also another pretty good angle, although I don't check that as as much. Maddie, thank you for jumping on the show today, man. We could have had this episode go on for hours, like just talking to you. But man, we are really grateful that you came on our show. And thanks for all the great work you're doing. But from the bottom of our heart, thank you. Thanks, Maddie. Thank you both. You've been listening to The Free Retiree Show. So long for now. Securities offered through Securities America Incorporated. Member FINRA, www.finra.org. SIPC, www.sipc.org. A separate entity. Lee Michael Murphy is licensed with the California Department of Insurance. License 0H18660. Lee Michael Murphy is a investment advisor representative with Securities America Advisors, a registered investment advisor. The Free Retiree, Securities America Advisors, and Securities America Incorporated are separate entities. Career Advisor Sergio Patterson, Attorney Matt McElroy are not affiliated with Securities America Advisors or Securities America Incorporated. Securities America Advisors, Securities America Incorporated, and its representatives do not provide tax or legal advice. Therefore, it's important to coordinate with your tax or legal advisor regarding your specific situation. The content heard in this podcast is not intended to be tax, investment, or legal advice and is intended as general guidance only. You should contact your own tax advisor, financial advisor, or attorney to answer questions about your specific situation or needs before acting upon this information. Third-party sourced information or comments are not verified, may not be accurate, and are not necessarily representative of all client or audience experience. A portion of this event was paid by a third party. The opinions of career advisor Sergio Patterson do not reflect the opinions of Facebook Inc. The opinions of attorney Matt McGorry do not reflect the opinions of Castaneda and Company.